0: Namaste,
1: motherfuckers.
0: Welcome to Namaste Motherfuckers, the only podcast where the worlds of work, comedy and well-being collide. The podcast where the life-changing stuff happens. I'm your host Callie Beaton and this episode is called No Time to Pee and if you haven't already do keep remembering to rate review and recommend the podcast we've got some exciting things going on with it at the moment in terms of it getting on the radar of some good people none so good as you for listening to it so yeah gleaming stars lovely reviews fill your boots but never mind this shameless self-promotion let's get back to today's episode the theme of which is babies No babies were born to UK Prime Ministers between 1850 and the year 2000, and it was in 2000 that tony blair well i guess sherry blair broke the cycle by having their baby i remember because i had a baby that year too since 2000 a total of three british prime ministers have had offspring born during the time they were in power um and uh yeah since boris took power no one has a fucking clue how many babies have been born to serving prime ministers new zealand has the ability to block people from registering baby names that they think are inappropriate rejected names include fat boy and twins called fish and chips but names that have been allowed include violence twins called benson and hedges and some poor child called number 16 bus shelter Apparently parents who use a lot of baby talk raise chattier children and if you play peekaboo with your baby um, it's actually a thing that happens in nearly all cultures worldwide. And uh, during lockdown, Japanese parents apparently started ordering bags of rice that weighed the same as their newborn children so that they could send them to relatives who couldn't visit them, um, who would then have the experience of hugging the baby. Oh, I might try that with a big bag of rice and pretend it's a boyfriend
1: can you tell if this is on or not i'm so bad with them that's
0: my guest today harriet kemsley and now for some little cute baby animal facts baby turtles call to each other while they're still in their shells so that they all hatch at the same time And baby opossums, which are not the same as possums. Baby opossums, my son keeps an opossum. They are so small at birth, little tiny opossums, you could fit 20 of them in a teaspoon. And baby vampire bats are sometimes adopted by their mum's best friend if their mum dies. You see, that's the sisterhood in action. Apparently, baby T-Rexes were about the size of a chihuahua. Maybe they were yappy like a chihuahua too, and that's why they're extinct. Sorry, chihuahua owners. Um, There was a baby boom in the wild goat population of Lundudno in Wales in 2021, because the wild goats hadn't had their usual contraceptive injections the year before due to the pandemic. And finally, in 2020, a judge in Oklahoma ruled that forcing a baby or a child to listen to baby shark on repeat
1: was inhumane. Fair. think i'm on it now amazing and then i need quick time player do you want me to record it you don't mind harriet
0: kemsley is an award-winning comedian writer and actor she starred in the reality sitcom Bobby and Harriet Get Married with her husband Bobby Mayer to critical acclaim. Her many and regular other TV appearances include Live at the Apollo, Dave's Hypothetical, Comedy Central's Roast Battle, and she's a recurring guest on 8 Out of 10 Cats Does Countdown and 8 Out of 10 Cats. Her other broadcast credits include hosting the BBC Radio 4 Comedy Club, the Radio 1 Comedy Lounge, BBC Three's Comedy Marathon, The One Show, and Kevin Hart's LOL Live. She and Bobby are now parents to little baby Mabel. We talk a lot about baby Mabel in the episode. And Harriet will be taking her brand new solo show, Honeysuckle Island, to Edinburgh in August and on tour afterwards. There are links to all of that in the show notes. If you have never seen Harriet, do stand up. Go, go, go. She's absolutely awesome. Harriet and I talked about babies, bobbies dogs, comedy, gingerness, sleep, dyspraxia, chaos, co-parenting, origin stories, live at the Apollo, little people, big rooms, and authenticity. But I started by asking Harriet about how old Mabel was at the time of recording.
1: nearly seven months old six and a half so kind of bouncy baby lots of smiles just perfect she's so smiley she's just learned to wave she does this it's just it's I just can't get over it
0: I won't say what you were doing with your hand for
1: anyone listening because you yeah, just does this. <laughs> have we started? I didn't realise. I was just chatting to you. <laughs> no, we are, we take, we'll we we'll we
0: just dive in wherever. Well um, but decided. yeah, no, it's, she is so sweet. Um, yeah, that age is really nice. And I have to say the pictures I've seen of her that you've sent me and on Instagram. She's got that. Is, am I allowed to say she's got that
1: perfect little chubby baby look? It doesn't make any sense. Like, I I really thought we would have just like the faultiest child. Like I, I was just like bracing myself for just horror. Um, And she's just so sweet. Something is somehow it's worked. I don't know what, I don't know what has happened, but somehow, and everyone's like, she's so calm. It doesn't make any sense because she comes from you two. It's just bizarre. It's funny
0: how you get um this is going to sound wrong when I say this but I cuz I was going to say you know you to get really good
1: looking parents and then it skips a generation Well, yeah, all the pa- exactly. all the kid gets
0: really clear attributes of each parent but in completely the wrong way around it so you're like work. I can really see that that is but it's a really bad like yeah it's a really bad um collab whereas I think you guys but you say that it was going to be a cute baby you and Bobby are very cute
1: I feel like you had to say that, but um, thank you for saying me and Bobby's ginger, isn't he? So I think anyone who's with a gingery person would you say Bobby's gingery? Uh, Yeah, sorry, I just knocked over the table. Um, Yes, Bobby is quite gingery. His hair is actually more strawberry blonde, but his beard is very gingery. There you go, Um, there you go. Yes. So So baby, but baby Mabel hasn't inherited the ginger gene. I think she's a little bit strawberry blonde. It depends on the light. And she doesn't, she has what Bobby calls, um, apparently in North America, it's a thing called a skullet. Um, So it's like, it's like a mullet, but it just like uh, shows your skull. Um, So she's got that uh very cute um it's a strong look isn't it honestly real six, strong years. look yeah. yeah it's growing in patches and uh yeah we'll see what comes next Ah, uh, I was really hoping to get a ginger
0: kid my son's beard is ginger I should say he's 24 in case people are like why is your beard is your son got a beard <laughs> uh, he's got a ginger beard and a little bit of ginger hair and my daughter doesn't have ginger hair so I think if you get a ginger child You'd be very, very blessed, Harriet. It's lucky. Yeah, I think so.
1: Can you hear the dog barking?
0: I can hear the dog barking, but not in a way I think that would disrupt the podcast. But how is it? How is it for you? Is he going to be happier if he's with you?
1: She? He? No, he can't. He can't be. Um, But I could go in a different room if it's too annoying. I don't
0: mind. And I don't think it's disruptive to the podcast if it's not. Disruptive to you. I think it's good because we did say when we said we'd do this, we said there'll be at least babies crying, puppies pooing, um, or dogs barking. And I think short of the baby now, we're, we're we're saying what we, you know, the baby needs to appear, cry, and poo a bit. And yeah. then I think we're done. Life comes at you fast, is what I've realized. I know. Year. It does, doesn't it? And it's so um because, uh, well, we were talking about this when we gigged together last week. And uh, I said, let's save it for the podcast because I cannot imagine how you can have a small baby, you're both comedians, and anyone is even thinking humorous thoughts, let alone writing them down or saying them on stage. So can you take me through how you have a comedic
1: brain at this particular point in life? My brain, I have no control of it at the moment, is one thing. Um, I have to write a show. And so luckily I think, you know when you're so tired that things happen because you're constantly making mistakes... I think luckily that is really helping um with the comedy um and um there's just no way around it it's just I think also what's good is we're very lucky um that it's not Catherine Ryan's always said this like comedy is not like you don't go leave really early in the morning when they've just woken up and then get back like just as they go to sleep like we can kind of like go for a few hours, come back. Like you can dip in and out a bit of I me and Bobby can kind of pass it back and forth. So my brain has no space and I'm constantly tired, but it's fine. And it's two great things. Like I love comedy. I love the baby. Feel lucky to get to do both. I just, if I could have a bit more sleep, then the dream. Yeah, I, I don't,
0: because I, um,
1: I did a gig last
0: night after n- having no sleep the night before only because I went out and stayed over at a gig and because <laughs> I, I was out living the life you were living until uh, oh six months God. ago and so I had had about I don't know what for you probably sounds fine I would had like I don't know four four and a half hours sleep and then I was gigging at top secret last night you know doing the usual kind of two gigs there. and I definitely I mean I was fine but I was not firing on. I definitely had to be a bit less like I'm in the room and I'm really quick-witted it was like the yeah. material I've written and I can just about tell you so I and I that's
1: obviously how it is for you all the time at the moment so I I don't know how you're doing it Harriet I've stopped well I've stopped breastfeeding and I think that's really helped I was that was I think like draining too much and also I reckon that's probably partly hangover that you had there but I haven't been able to drink for a long time so Mm. I think to be honest I've saved a lot of energy through that I like the way you're like it's partly hangover you had there, Kelly. I, I would agree. I would agree. <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> I'd say ninety percent hangover. Uh, so yeah, so you haven't got the hangover, you haven't got the depletion through breast milk. You've just yeah. got baby exhaustion.
1: Just baby exhaustion. Just trying to do everything um, and remember everything. I think that's the problem. I was much better at because I am. Um, I have dyspraxia, so I'm naturally my natural state is absolute chaos. Um, But I have learned over the years, like I've had to work really hard to not exist in a state of chaos. So I have a lot of things that I have to do. And now it is very easy to go back to absolute chaos. But I'm trying very hard to like control the chaos it's really hard
0: dyspraxia or no dyspraxia to control the chaos of a baby. You like, you can't imagine anyone who's listening who hasn't had one. I remember someone saying to me before I had my first one, Oh, you'll be lucky even to manage to kind of clean your teeth and put on a clean pair of pants. And I was like, excuse me, I think you'll find I manage it. And then you have the baby. You're like, Oh my God. Like it's three in the afternoon. I remember I used to always eat an apple before I went to work, before I had a baby. And I remember once I had a baby, I was like, I have not managed to get wash and eat an apple in six months because that was quite an undertaking. Because you need both That's... your hands, you need to get to the yeah. tap. You need to remember your then you got to remember to eat the whole apple. That felt like a massive achievement. I at my first apple when Jake was about the age Mabel is now and it was a big day.
1: It absolutely. I completely get it. I, um, I, before I had Mabel, I had to go to the doctors cause I had a problem where I was peeing too much. So like I was peeing like every hour and then they said, what happened is I got into a habit of peeing and it was making me pee more, like more. Ah. So then I had to do like a pee diary to like try and go longer, like between peeing. Was so it a psychological thing? You'd set yourself up a sort of weird schedule? I just, yeah, started peeing too much. And then now uh, the cure is to have a baby there's, yeah. there's absolutely no time to pee. I have yeah. like not peed in six months. Yeah, I know. It's an absolutely brilliant
0: way to get cystitis. The, uh, not the way we used to get it when we were young, friends and Not single. the fun way. Not the fun way. And is it in terms of um, how it is with the dyspraxia? So I know a bit about kind of isms and uh, neurodiversity and all of that stuff, as anyone who listens to this knows. So dyspraxia, people think of it as kind of... Um, something that it manifests sometimes as physical, like lack of spatial awareness. It can be yeah. kind of clumsiness. But what, so what's it like for you then with dyspraxia? What was it like with pre-Mabel and post-Mabel?
1: Um, so I think uh, the chaos thing of just like, I will break something. And I think sometimes I'll just have really bad days where I'll break, I'll just like constantly break things throughout the day. Um, and it's quite hard to organize your thoughts or, or think about things. And so, there's so many things that I have to do that it's now with the baby that it's, it's like, I think I have trained myself quite well. If I'd have had a baby 10 years ago, I I just, I it's too painful to even imagine how awful it would be. But I've got things that I now try and do that make it much easier. And I think also the, pro- my biggest problem with not with the baby but having a baby is the anxieties like I am just constantly I think because I'm clumsy and I make mistakes very easily it's very difficult I, I have trained myself to imagine every possible thing that I could do that would go wrong so that I don't do them but then now there's like actual stakes like I'm not really worried about myself anymore it's like the worry of what could happen to the baby and so I'm constantly thinking about every worst case scenario every awful thing that could happen to her and that is very tiring In terms, because
0: I I think once you've got a baby there's that idea of you're only ever as happy as your unhappiest kid and that's a sort of thing that I couldn't really grasp I used to think I was too selfish to feel like that I was like yeah but I'm really selfish I, I know I <laughs> thought so that be fun. Yeah, I know and then blooming mother love kicks in or not just mother love parent love kicks in you're like oh shit I do actually really care about this little. Small it's a spell picture. or something it's mad
1: yeah. you're just like it's incredible
0: but it is such a beautiful thing like it's reminded me getting that I'm just gonna um equate getting Jeff the puppy with actually having a human baby no you must so it's exactly the same <laughs> it's totally yes. the same just yes.
1: Yes, decide. you birthed Tim. Yeah, you. Oh my God, the birth that.
0: was awful. The midwife yeah. was so horrible to me. Uh, so uh, my birth plan <laughs> got ripped up, and then Jeff came home, and I still had stitches. But um, no, but equate it. Quite, but I do. It did remind me of that. Um, even with a dog, which it obviously is. I'm going to go. It's like ten percent of the love you feel for a human baby only because one of my children's listening it's actually the same but when you have the, when you get it's like it creeps up on you with a dog that suddenly like I suddenly did realize after about two weeks like I literally would lay down my life for my dog and then it actually made me think god I've forgotten what that feels like when you've got a baby and that enormous weight of responsibility I remember crying yeah. when when the baby blues hit and Jake was whatever he was like seven days old And I just started weeping. And Jake's dad, Ed, who I was still with at the time, he was like, are you all right, Kelly? And I said, I just can't bear it. He said, what can't you bear? He's going to go to school one day. And I don't know why I was crying when he was (laughs) seven days old because he was going to have to go to school. But it's that they're so fragile, aren't they? And
1: so little. And you feel like if you just screwed it up, something horrible could happen that's it and you're everything in you is just telling you that you have to protect this thing thank goodness I mean it'd be awful if it wasn't if I was like if I had no <laughs> instinct to do that but um, it is it is very um it's scare. it's really scary um because you're like the mistakes are so like it just feels so um huge I think the six months point has been very helpful I think because also everyone I think it's a very good thing. We talk about things more. It's so good. But I think there is a lot of talk of everything that can go wrong and it can feel very overwhelming when you're kind of in it and you're so afraid of anything happening. And even if it's a tiny percentage that something might happen, you can't help obsessing about it um so I've just the last six months I've been so controlling like I haven't let anybody like we've had a lot of help that I've had Bobby we've we started to have babysitters a few months ago but I won't let anybody not be in the same room with her until she was six months old so we had a baby monitor but I made them still be in the same room as her and now we've started to use the baby monitor and that is much um better is that I, I heard you on Lookdown, well it's not called lockdown parenting
0: hell now. it's just called parenting hell but I heard you talking yeah. there about the birth and about you and Bobby and um, for anyone listening who doesn't know you're married to fellow comedian at Bobby Mayer and I heard you talking about the different I remember <laughs> you talking about like physically how you passed her around and what well, you say it made me really laugh like what you say about how you physically handled Mabel when she was little and how you'd pass. Mabel around and how Bobby would do it and how you would do it
1: yeah I do it and every woman that I know passes her with like tender care like she's a precious package whereas Bobby and my dad they're just like throwing her like in the air like she's a rugby ball or something like tossing her to each other and then the person is like very taken aback when they take the baby it's um it's madness just so much confidence right from the start it is funny isn't it because you sort of think
0: now do you look at new new parents because I used to not really think about it you'd see a new parent with a baby. And, not really, and just assume, well, they know how to have a baby. But now I think that poor person, like a week ago, they didn't have a baby and they didn't know how to look after one. And now they've got a week old out baby and they still don't know how to look after one. And they're out with
1: the papoose and all the shit and they don't know what they're doing. And that I never used to think of it like that till I had a baby myself. I, never, I literally apologized to a friend on Saturday. <laughs> she was like the first one out of our friends to have a baby. And I just was used I didn't ever offer to babysit or like give any help and she was like so young and we just like well so annoying she can't come out and just gave no like just didn't check I was just useless and she said that she gets it like it's like until you do it you just don't know I guess it means we have no empathy but I think it is hard to understand until you go through it just how life-changing and overwhelming it is and all you want is just somebody to be like this is what you do Let me help.
0: Yeah, I think that's why people end up with... Like, second kids tend to be loads easier. And I honestly think it is because you just know what you're doing. And so the second one sort of just gets a sense where they're just like... I remember when Ella started... Ella's the little one who you just saw uh, walking about behind me in case you wondered what that tableau was. Um, So, And she... I remember her doing like crying in the hospital or whatever. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, if that is your cry, you were going to have to really ramp that up to even get like on the radar of what's going on in us because we had an yeah. nearly three-year-old who knew how to be heard. And I just think there is a – but there is that um, – it's weird, isn't it, that you get given this incredibly precious thing with no manual. And I used to always think, well, anyone can bring a kid up. How hard can it be? But you realise when you've got one, there are quite a lot of variables that don't always go so well. So it isn't that anyone can bring a kid up. Um, you might be able to keep a kid hopefully physically safe – but you do start feeling this weight of responsibility about everything else, don't you?
1: It's madness. There should be, I mean, there should be lessons. Like they just let like, anybody just I mean have sex. I mean, anybody just can have sex. They can just produce a baby. Like I didn't know anything. Like a friend earlier was like, Oh, I don't know what to do. And I was like, I don't know what to do. You just have to work it out somehow. I mean, thank God for Google. What do people do before Google? Well, I had babies before Google. What did you do? I How can't did you know? remember.
0: I really can't remember. Like, I know there were books, but I don't remember reading them very well. And I think I don't actually remember what we used to do. I think it probably saved a whole load of worry about, oh, they've got a little bit of a tickly thing in their nose. And then you Google it and it says take them straight to A&E. So I think probably yeah. that saved us a bit of trouble. But I don't remember what on earth we did. I do think, and this is making me sound like I had my children just after World War II, which I didn't. My children were born in, well, one in 97 and one in 2000. But I do think that, I I do think there was something about not having smartphones in those days. Like I'm really pleased Mm. I didn't have the dilemma of, should I be looking at my sweet little terror baby or should I be looking at this email and that when you were out with the baby there was no I don't think I even had a mobile phone I didn't when Jake was born I didn't even have a mobile so I, I kind of feel pleased about that probably I think that's a benefit but yeah but then I don't know how we knew how to do it I mean I don't suppose we did
1: <laughs> and you didn't have a cocoa melon when you were in a car ride that you could just put this baby crack in front of them and then they (laughs) they're quiet for 10 minutes just like mouth agape we had horrible
0: um like they had they had little baby walkman things that they always broke because they did have like clunky headphones and they'd always like Stick the headphone up their ass or something. You'd be like, oh, no, the headphones <laughs> gone wrong. Or, or you'd have like literally CDs, and you'd be playing like the horrible Wheels on the Bus CD, and you couldn't then just find something like it algorithmically on Spotify. So I think that probably damaged everyone's musical taste, but yeah. I probably did keep them safe. But is there, um in terms of what you're scared of, then? just to fan the flames of fear on a Monday afternoon, because we are recording this in a heat wave when you and I probably are feeling slightly irrationally hot anyway. But what are the fears then that you have that that eclipse you?
1: I mean, they're pretty dark. This is the problem. I have kind of quite obsessive thoughts sometimes. So it's just, essentially every time I go to change her, it's, there's a tile floor, she could fall off and right. smash her head. Or if I'm pushing her in the pram, I think, let go of the pram or she's going to roll away (laughs) I'm going to have to chase her and then she could go into oncoming traffic um so every single thing I've got a worry and um the problem is I then share that worry with anyone that might be looking after her and I say don't do this because then this terrible thing might happen and they're like okay obviously I wasn't going to do that thing that's cool but it makes you a bit controlling so Bobby is like him leaving the house it's like so easy he just leaves the house and everything's fine whereas i feel like i have to check that she has everything otherwise what thing could go wrong if she's hungry and he just leaves the house and he's like i'll deal with it it'll be fine but that's kind
0: of evolution i guess if you think about the ideal two parent thing regardless of gender mm. if you've each got you kind of probably do need someone who's really like overly awake at the wheel and you probably do need someone to kind of be a bit looser so the baby gets yeah. a bit of that as well so it's probably actually the yin and the yang of that is probably quite nice. I don't want to be this
1: side I want to be the chill no. side and the problem is the more the other person is chilled the more you have to be the highly strong one because the more relaxed they are the, the more you're worried that they're going to make a mistake so then you have to tell them what to do and then the more they're they pull back because you're telling them what to do. It's a vicious cycle.
0: It's really, um. I always wonder how anybody says they got pregnant a second time by accident because I'm thinking by the time you're a year or two into this, how the hell is anyone doing anything spontaneously by how? accident?
1: I mean, it's so hard to like be romantic and like see anything in like, a romantic way when it's just like, let's keep the baby alive. She takes up all like, I remember before I had her, I was, like, said to Bobby, I was like, Oh, um, I uh I'm just really worried she might get in between us and then i want to spend more time with you and I won't be up because of the baby. And I'm like, that will was... be who? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't even I don't even remember what he looks like. Uh yeah. It's really it is really difficult. And I do think
0: like look, we split up when the kids when my littlest one was uh nearly three. And I just think it's more of a wonder that anyone kind of holds it together because when you look at the shift, like, and I know you you did, um, Bobby and Harriet get married, so people, some people um, listening to this will have watched that. Any uh, can people still watch it if they it's still out there to watch?
1: Oh, yes, I'm not exactly sure where it is at the moment, um, but That's it will what probably be for. somewhere. Yeah, and there's definitely clips on um the Comedy Central channel. Yeah, there's great I think.
0: Yeah. yeah, so people can definitely get a bit of an insight into you and Bobby, and anyone who knows your and or Bobby's uh, comedy will sort of get get the general gist of it. But it is a really I guess because you were so kind of being so public about your traits and then what the Venn diagram is of putting Harriet and Bobby together and that overlap so you've kind of inhabited that quite publicly until Mabel and I don't know how you're feeling about being so public about that now
1: you've got Mabel. I think it's fine I think that um, one good thing is we are pretty relaxed about that I mean neither of us is particularly worried about how we come across I think in some ways like I think that um that is a good thing about doing comedy for a really long time you do you like you do just stop caring maybe what other people think so much um yeah and you're
0: both in that because I know I heard you again on the lockdown um on the Parenting Hell podcast talking about the fact that you were going off to Top Secret to do you were both going to do I don't know if it was previews or sets but you were going to each have Mabel in between kind of thing so you were at the same venue tag teaming Mabel.
1: Yeah that's what we did at the beginning it was in hindsight an absolutely mad idea. It did Um, sound
0: stressful.
1: Yeah I was like yeah we got this idea it's going to be great Um, and I think it was in a way because it meant that I I think I would have found it really hard to go back to work if I'd left it too long because I think I would have just got into this thing of being like, I, I'm not very good at focusing at more than one thing. And so I think that because I just so quickly just went straight back and I'd said to Bobby before I had the baby, make sure I do this. And then afterwards I'd be like, I don't know if I should. And he'd be like, you, I've got like you, you've got to do this. And I'm so glad I did because then there's still that, I can be both things which is nice there's still that part of me that um that I love what I do and um, so yeah we'd take her to Top Secret um Mark and everyone at Top Secret was amazing so we brought her to the club with us um when she was like a month old and um we'd be in the green room and one of us would open the show and the other one would, would close it and so we could just have her there and um angel comedy were great as well um they let us use um upstairs and do um a show together and people have been people were so brilliant and in hindsight i can't really believe that we took her out um but people were so lovely and i didn't want to be away from her so i didn't want to leave her with anybody i didn't trust so she was always with one of us and we're only going to work for 20 minutes and then coming back and then swapping it felt like a no-brainer and also i think it's um as a freelance person it's not like you get you get like state maternity pay and um I don't know how anybody exists off off that so it feels like you have to find uh a way to make it work well especially when you're both doing the same thing because if one person had a kind of
0: like you know there are obviously plenty of comedians who have kind of hitch their wagon to a lawyer or whoever and there's one I person I know that you're would like, be great that's yeah. a smart move right really
1: smart yeah. we're both idiots
0: yeah well at least you've got another idiot helping you out I'm just a, <laughs> yeah. I'm just flying solo idiot so you could have made even worse life choices Namaste, motherfuckers. but I think it is actually really good for people to hear as well Th- that you did it and how you did it, because whatever career you're in, it, there is that bit. I think, for, for whether you're, you know, the mum or the dad, or whether you're, you know, uh, parenting from whatever other kind of um, setup, that you think it would be really easy if money was no object. At a certain point, just go. I'm just going to immerse myself in this enormously intense love story with my yeah. baby. Yeah. And then next thing you'd know, the baby would be like off at nursery or school, and then you're like, That's what it. am I doing? And who am I? And I, I said that to you when we gigged together last week. That the bit people don't always realize when they have tiny children and they're grappling with should I be leaving the baby or how do I do it? But it was only when my I said to you, you know when my kids got to be kind of maybe preteens and teenagers that I realized that inadvertently I had given them a really lovely kind of feminist or at least the yeah. equalist model of if you want something, you go and get it and you don't expect someone to do it for you and you decide how you want to live your life, which is not not saying that anyone who decides not to go back to work, that's also a really important model and you're showing your kid loads of really important things. But I think that guilt you have when they're tiny... I think the only person suffering at that point is you as the parent, the baby isn't suffering when you're going off. And, and actually it's really good for them to be
1: with other people. I think so. I mean, we've got great, great babysitters now, and she's so happy when they come and um, it's um, that's um, annoying, it's, isn't it? You're like, look, I do the nights, Mabel. Why look, are you giving this person? Mabel, voice? I'm here for the hard graft. They just <laughs> yeah. popping it out for a couple <laughs> of hours. Uh, but, um, but yeah, my, uh, my agent said something interesting, which is what she had heard about how, cause it's tr- like you can spend like all day with them, like every day and you don't, even kind of register it because you're just kind of surviving whereas if you are working and you make sure that when the time you're together is like really quality focused time then you can have the best of both like someone said somewhere that like is that all uh, like a child needs is like 15 minutes of like quality like connection every day I mean I'm hoping to give maybe a lot more than that maybe 17 (laughs) sometimes exactly 17 maybe 17 and a half (laughs) occasionally um but like proper like focused time whereas I, I think so many parents just because life is so exhausting and you're trying to do things um if you're just trying to get through the day you don't necessarily stop and connect with them um so that's the aim anyway and also the balance I mean what you guys
0: do have because you both do the same thing for a living I'm not saying every day it feels balanced but to actually have that I I do think you know one of the things that I think's really helped my kids have kind of you know, they say you give your kids roots and you give them wings, and I think the roots bits kind of easy to do if you're in a loving home. The wings bits a bit harder. Is how do you keep yeah. letting go? Both as a tiny yeah, baby, yeah, right yeah. Through. it's so hard to let them fall, metaphorically and literally. But I do think if they can have that relationship with two parents that is an enormous luxury that loads of kids don't really have there's usually there's often just there's often one main parent or mainly nursery with a bit of parenting kind of around the edges so it's amazing that Mabel's main carers are the two of you
1: yeah it's lovely and absolutely some women like definitely and then like have the patience and the ability to to be there through it all but I the times that I've just had to, 24 hours a day for like a few days in a row I've found like very draining and actually having a bit of time to to be myself I will say as well I think it is I think it would have been very difficult to do it like 10 years ago when I wasn't able to go off and make money and then pay a babysitter I think it's very difficult when you start stand up you have to do so much stuff for free um, and then doing a day job and then having a baby like that would be I don't know how I would have done it then so it is the timing has been good so far um there is that
0: there was something that um it's it, when you're thinking about that it's the kind of timing and how you then are programmed as a parent and when you were saying about your dark thoughts um I had Abigail Burdess uh, a few weeks ago and she said yeah. she had these rich re- She of these really dark thoughts her kids are like I think you know in the tweens now but she said she stuffed this particularly falling down the stairs dropping a baby down the stairs she oh yeah it was this massive vision of I'm gonna fall with yeah. the baby on the baby the baby's gonna fall and she spoke to um someone about it I don't know if it was her therapist or someone else and they said it is that is you're safeguarding your baby and you're having those dark thoughts it doesn't mean you're a weird dark mother yeah. or parents but you're having them it's a sort of preemptive thing and it is you protecting the baby
1: at, at all costs and so how does are. that explain though that I did fall down the stairs while pregnant uh well, that
0: means you're dyspraxic. <laughs>
1: okay, there we go. Okay, that's my body not yeah, communicating. Well. That's
0: not but helpful, but yeah. reasonable and understandable. Oh my God. So tell me about that. So you did literally fall down the stairs. Pregnant. Yeah,
1: it was wild. Bobby was in oh, uh boo, where was he? Romania maybe filming, Bulga- Bulgaria filming. And um I was on my over two weeks when I was really pregnant, and um, yeah, I fell down the stairs and it was so scary. I mean, it is very much not the first time I've fallen down the stairs and we've put it in this like kind of like textured carpet now so it is much harder to fall but um I think maybe it was a good wake-up call that it happened then rather than when I had the baby that um uh but yeah I fell down the stairs and it was really scary I like a because I kind of just fell like right kind of on my back um how pregnant so were is, you so I guess I was four months maybe and that's um, also
0: really nerve-wracking you feel like really you feel like you could just time. dislodge it at that point yeah can't. I know, you can't, I you know like it's
1: so scary and you feel and like I don't think there was a, but like it's just so scary and um uh yeah so it's just such a mad time when you're just so worried about doing the wrong thing and then something like that you're like what is wrong with me why can not I even just walk down the stairs and protect this baby inside of you because you feel like your whole I, I, I've never really had it before like I'm I'm very clumsy but I just kind of like oh well you know I'll just keep going but when you have a baby to protect it's um it's it's terrifying it was, I, I remember watching you when you did live
0: at the Apollo pregnant, didn't you? Yes. How pregnant were you when you did that? So I think I was six months when I did that. Because that was, I know, I think Ellie Taylor did it pregnant. I think there've been a couple of people yeah. who did And I loved, I loved watching you do And I also, by the way, it was a very Cali Beaton dress you had on for that. I was like, <laughs> you
1: know, very, a, a little monochrome Peter Pan collar type thing. Very nice. I love a little collar and it's nice to be old. Oh, that's one thing about being pregnant. that's great. It was being able to wear like, um, uh, skin tight clothes that could just kind of uh, go over your tummy and then let's not worry about like I've this. always had a
0: pregnant shape like I always <laughs> look do, a bit pregnant yeah. and I still do and I, the only reason people don't ask if I'm pregnant now is because I'm too old that's I handy some, yeah that's good yeah literally I remember someone saying to me i had two occasions when people argued about the fact i wasn't pregnant and people didn't just say oh i think you're pregnant they there was a woman when i was buying a bra um at marks and spencer's and i had at least one child with me maybe two and i had like one child like perched up on the counter like a little you know toddlery one while i was paying and then she said to whichever child it was So said and when's mommy gonna when are you gonna get a brother or a sister and i said they're not and she literally she goes well should i can see and i was like no yeah, you can't and so that happened and another time a friend of uh, one of the kids um or another parent from the school run i was at like a picnic for someone's fourth birthday or something and this dad who was a he was like an osteopath or he was used to seeing people's bodies basically and he said oh you know i can see you're pregnant how far along are you i said i'm not pregnant he said no i know i know you know i see bodies in the course and like, i can see you're pregnant he said i'd say what four months and i was like <laughs> So it's one thing being told you're pregnant and another when people double down, they're like, well, you might not think you are.
1: (laughs) I have exactly the same thing. My body is just like, I'll never have a flat stomach and it will never look like I am not three months pregnant
0: we we'll do what I remember saying when I was in a changing room, trying when they used to have more sort of open plan changing rooms um, Then they, I don't think they really do that now. And I reckon my youngest was probably like seven or something. And I was trying something on and the woman, there was a real beautiful, glamorous woman who worked there. And I could see her just looking at me trying to wrestle my way into this dress. And I was like, oh, it's so much harder once you've had a baby, isn't it? And she said... How old's the baby? I didn't mean to, but I was like, oh, eight weeks old. And she went, oh, my God, you look really good. And I was like, (laughs) he's actually seven. (laughs) Seven You've got
1: to take what you can get that's a great thing to do just tell everybody that you've just had a baby just keep saying that yeah
0: until you get so old that you've got to come up with some other like thing that's going on um but did you in in terms of the so the stuff you've done so I loved watching you on Apollo was that your first appearance on Apollo yes yeah it was so exciting was well it's an amazing thing I mean that is the kind of pinnacle right as a stand-up that's what you want to do how was it doing that
1: it was crazy it was um because I started doing stand-up uh when so my dad and my mum and dad had been watching live at the Apollo the night before and then they suggested it to me the next day that I should go and do it and um, which was just wild like because I didn't really know anything about stand-up and the stand-ups you saw were nothing like me at all but they were like you're funny won't you try doing stand-up because I was a bit lost at the time I didn't know what to do and I went and I did it and so it felt like this real like full circle moment to to do it because that's how i'd started it and then to actually be doing it and then to be pregnant with a baby i'd had because i met my husband through doing comedy it was um it felt really really lovely but it was a mad time because there was so much um covid around and so you so didn't want to get sick because of then you couldn't do it and um also, I was so pregnant, but I was having to like go to clubs every night and just try and run and hone my twenty as much as possible. um And is it a twenty you do, or do you do longer and they edit it? So yeah, how long do you do, you do a twenty, and then they edit it down? I think there's an eleven-minute version and a seven-minute version. And um, do they and make and so, you do clean because your your well,
0: your stuff's really like, you, you can go any which way. I've seen you could I can imagine you could craft a set that could fulfill whatever need. But do they curate? I mean, it very much felt like you, your voice, and it's lovely that you said that because watching it really felt like that. Like, like they, I, there are some goosebumpy ones you see on Apollo and yours was definitely one. Um, and it's that something that was going on for you, obviously came across on screen, which is really lovely.
1: That's really lovely. Um, yeah. So I think because they, they've seen you do a recent set when they come and watch you, I think they're like, that's kind of what we want this time. And so they, they were great. They, they weren't like, they didn't tell me there was anything I couldn't do. Um, and, um, then they, you do a trial thing and they give you notes if they want to change anything, but they didn't, um, at all. They were, um, they were brilliant, like so supportive and, um, yeah, it was amazing. So when we got there, but it's crazy cause you get there at like two o'clock and then it wasn't until nine. Oh and so you're God. just like the, the nerves, like I've never played a, a stage that big. I don't yeah. think maybe once, but, um, and so, and especially after COVID, like you haven't performed to like people that that many people in one space and, um, we did a trial run, thank goodness, because they let all the, um, smoke out as you walk through but that's the really bit for a dyspraxic
0: person that's a challenge
1: exactly so yeah. I walked through the smoke and then I was like <clears throat> and then I was like basically like crawling through the smoke to like get on stage and it was like thank god there was a practice or that like would be my entrance instead <laughs> of a rock star <laughs> exactly <Yeah>. just like <laughs> pulling myself <laughs> through on the ground in your fatigues exactly yeah so thank goodness there was a rehearsal that would have been my entrance to live at the Apollo like some people come out like <laughs> <laughs> skipping and I would have been just gasping there and crawling on the ground so so yeah but, um, but yeah it was a very um, it was a very fun time Did you find because when I watch
0: people so um, I've seen you plenty of times I've seen you from sort of you know doing on stage at the Cav in Stockwell through to sort of doing much bigger rooms and I, uh, lots of my kind of contemporaries have been on it and it does seem that when people are on that stage you, you sort of do inhabit it like I've seen people who aren't necessarily very physical comedians and then they're on that stage and suddenly you're like oh my god they're like really using the space did you find when you were up there you did you suddenly got a bit of Beyonce about you and we're like I'm rocking this big stage because it looks so say natural
1: the nearest comparison to me on stage and in comedy is probably Beyonce um exactly yeah I, the really, same. I yeah. really channel Beyonce yeah um yeah I don't know it, because it's so big it is it is a bit like I can gabble a bit so I was like trying to not go too quickly otherwise um because it's so big that it can take a little while maybe for the laugh to kind of come back to you so you have to try and be slow to kind of judge the pacing um so um, that was something I was like and also you feel like yeah I guess that's true you want to try and take up space because otherwise you're just like a little ant I guess. It's funny when you do
0: those I do kind of big stages in my kind of corporate speaking so I do I do these massive stages and it isn't I actually have better gigs I don't know what it is about it but there's something about when I get up there and, and one of the things I do before I go onto to a really big stage I think the biggest one the first big one I did was I think it's the Royal Festival Hall and wow. I, until then I'd done like smaller ones and I remember standing but and they, and also the more formal they get backstage, the more they're like, right, you're going to be on in one and counting down. Yeah, and I'm yeah. like, oh shit. Whereas if I was just an angel, I'd be able to go on and just be funny. But as it is, I'm like, oh God, yeah. am I meant to know how to do this job? Because I don't. <laughs> and so I, and I, I remember standing, lo- looking at the stage and thinking, I feel so small and inadequate. And then I thought I'm going to really lean into my smallness. I don't mean it as my voice, but I thought, yeah, I am small. And I'm going to just stand on that bloody stage on my two feet and I'm going to let my small voice fill this big room. And I just sort of let myself be that little person on the stage. That's and then lovely. Something, if that makes sense, because yeah. I, could, I couldn't literally big myself up. I could just go, well, you are small, but you're probably OK. <laughs> so well, that's on. it. I
1: think you still have to be true to yourself. It's like sometimes it can be um, you feel like, oh, I have to be more like this or. Or be like this, like set version of like what a stand up is, and um, that's always wrong because then you're not being true to yourself. And also, I think there is something nice about being in such a big space in that there is that anon. Oh, I can't say the word anonymity. 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 Yeah. Um, because um, my worst is when you're just performing in front of like a few people you know, like that is, oh, and you can see horrible. their expressions. Yeah. Whereas if you've got a huge crowd, then it's like it. It is you can't focus too much, which is kind of nice. And is it
0: because that's one of the things? And again, we'll obviously put links to your comedy. And most people listening to this will know who know who you are. But one of the things I really, really admire about your comedy, and ever since I think the first time I did see you was emceeing one of the Comedy Virgins nights at the, at the Cavendish in Arms in Stockwell. Which, if anyone listening lives in London, you haven't been, you need to go into that night and support <laughs> comedy because it's quite an experience, laugh, yeah. quite an experience on and off stage. <laughs> but that, but you do have a really it does feel really authentic. So I think the reason you're doing so well and you get booked for so many things is it. you definitely do have a properly distinctive voice There isn't, there's nobody where I think anyone would be like, oh, they're a bit like Harriet or Harriet's a bit. Oh. <laughs> and I do mean that in a lovely way. Like it does feel completely authentic. And I think that is a, it's a really hard thing to carve out a comedic voice that isn't, I'm sure you are influenced by comedy you like, but but it's very much a Harriet presence, which is really lovely. And I, I don't know how, if that felt, does it feel kind of natural to you then that you just are able to be so authentic? Does it feel authentic to you? I appreciate
1: that. I think it has been um, a while coming because I think um, I am naturally, or at least when I was younger, and even when I started stand-up much more, I was very shy. And so it's it, it was very... Unnatural to kind of take up people's time and like talk on a stage. And I think that I would automatically like try and go down different routes and I would always listen to like what people would tell me, like what a stand up does and how you should behave and be more like professional. Whereas what I've learned more recently, just by literally doing it, like just by like doing it every night and doing things like hosting at the Cavendish, um, it, um, Gemma Beagley, who's this, um, Uh, brilliant comic she 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 was the host there and then she gave it to me and she said I think this would be really good for you because it will let you kind of really relax and be yourself on stage and I think it it, it's true just getting up on stage and just having to talk and it's it's such a hard thing to do but I think it literally is just by doing it over and over you start to have to be yourself and that's the best way that you're going to be funny I think is if you are and I mean it's a heightened version of yourself definitely um but the more I can kind of let myself be that without worrying about what people are going to think whereas I can think oh people I should be a bit more like this because this is what people want and actually that's not what they want all you have to try and do is just be as authentic to yourself as possible but um it's not always easy because then that's the thing that um if they don't like that, then that's really scary because that's you.
0: <laughs> well, it's it is it's scary, but it's also, it's so hard to just keep backing yourself because none of us probably have titanic self-confidence that we wouldn't be doing what we do. We've probably all had a bit of a tough paper round or we wouldn't be comics in some yeah. way. There's something about us that maybe yeah. doesn't belong or doesn't feel quite right within itself. And then it is really, it's so easy. I don't know about you, but the ones I have to aren't so good. And when I start thinking oh, well, they love what that MC is doing and I'm about to come on and I'm nothing like that MC. So they will not like me as opposed to going, well, yeah, they don't want to just see someone like the MC all night. But I sometimes really get in my own way. I had one, my, my hungover top secret gig last night, which I think anyone watching would have probably thought was absolutely fine. Yeah. But you know, those ones where you feel like you're playing like a record at the wrong speed. You're just not quite in it.
1: Yeah, and yeah, it was, yeah.
0: and I realized it was because I watched Nico have a brilliant like MC thing and the, blow the roof off with stuff that was, I was about to go in and try and do a bit more subtle sort of you know nuanced uh neurodiverse zookeeper sun material i was like well they don't want that <laughs> <laughs> they just want me to and 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 the worst thing you can do is not not own it isn't you just got to go on and yeah. really unashamedly be like this is what you're getting and it is me and but I, I i do really struggle with it i know you've been going a little bit longer than me but i suspect you've got I don't know there's something it's funny that you and Bobby are are, um, are together because I think both of you have that in bucket loads that you both are very much your own comedians and neither of you would be confused with any other acts on the circuit and I do mean that (laughs) I mean that in a lovely way. Yeah absolutely Bobby would be anyone but himself
1: (laughs) at every point.
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah that's true that's uh, and it is but it is there's something really lovely about that and did you um I want to ask you the three questions I ask everybody but in terms of you so you've been going just over 10 years is that right yeah and yeah. yeah. um, so what is next for you um into so you've done you've done lots of telly you've got you've still
1: got the podcast with Sunil do you still do
0: that yeah that- it's on a
1: break at the moment I think it's going to come back um hopefully in a slightly different form and um, it was so it was called why is Harriet crying and it was because I was crying very regularly at the time, but it was like for very silly things, but it'd be like a different reason every fortnight. And then, um, by some miracle I was crying less. <laughs> so we, we didn't have as many things. So I think now we're going to focus, um, just change the, the focus a little bit to make it like, cause it's a very authentic, uh, podcast. And so we want it to be like, very like true to us and where we're at. So, um, so yeah, we're just going to change it up slightly. Um, and then hopefully it's going to come back in a different form brilliant so and
0: we'll put a link to the to the episodes you've done with Sunil who's also a brilliant 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 person who I'm gonna get on the podcast for sure and is the um so you got the podcast you're doing you seem to be doing loads of like felt like the minute you'd had Mabel I was on your insta and stuff seeing you kind of like in dressing rooms on tv studios (laughs) and just being booked for stuff I was like fair play so it looks like you've got quite a lot going on kind of telly wise
1: yeah it's been good I was so I think I worried about having a baby for so long because it's there's so much stigma around it I think and you just worry that people would be like oh she doesn't want to do this because she has a baby whereas Bobby will be available but um but the the woman probably won't want to do this because of the baby but um I I love what I do it's so fun and um also people have been brilliant like some production companies have paid for tickets train tickets and hotels for my mum so she can come and bring Mabel like Uh, I've brought Mabel to dressing rooms and my sister's watched her or Bobby and um, people have been brilliant. And then sometimes obviously you can't bring her, like um, we're going away at the end of the week and um, some leaving her overnight for the first time ever, which is um, very scary. Um, But it's, it's been, I think it's sometimes there's so many negative stories around it. And I think that's so good that people are, are honest about how hard it is. But I think also there is, hope out there that you can do it and I think I speak to so many women of my age that are so worried about having a baby but they know they need to if they're going to do it do it reasonably soon um but it is possible you'll just be very tired I think and it is, it's really interesting, isn't it? I know Esther
0: Monito, who I love, and she obviously got yeah. into comedy when she, I think her second one was a baby and she used to sort of write stuff verbally, like pushing the pram around. And But the, the judgment she got, you know, it's like, well, where's the baby? You know, well, yeah. And it's kind of like, no one's asking, no one's asking the men no babies in comedy, who's got the baby tonight? Yeah. And it's so annoying. that, be, And also you don't want to be fated yeah. as some kind of hero for doing it. It's like, yeah, we're all parents. We're yeah, all sharing or, the load. It's all fine. all working to yeah. pay
1: towards the household. And yeah. it's, um, and so it's, um, yeah, it's I, I that's the hardest bit is getting over that voice in your head of judgments um uh but i like if people don't want to work or they do want to work just as long as you're you're happy and the baby's happy it's um it's all good and there's pros and cons that bobby does the same thing in that we're generally around in the day and we can pass it back and forth one of us does a podcast or one of us goes off and does something or writes but um but also it's difficult because at night we generally are both out but we're only out for a few hours so getting a babysitter is um is um is working at the moment and it's your I think people sometimes don't realize with comedy that it is our job it sort of
0: almost feels like we're going out to do a social thing like whenever I'm dating people <laughs> who don't aren't from this world I don't think they get it when I'm like they're like What well, should we get on Friday night and it's like well I'm kind of booked for the Friday night for the next six yeah. months <laughs> and it's not and it's not like yeah. I'm just going out having a laugh with my friends I mean I might end up doing that but it's that's yes, not I what mean it that probably meant. will happen as well yeah. but
1: yeah you just you just have to yeah it's uh it's a it's a crazy thing but maybe that's a good thing that you learn how to kind of sacrifice in a way of of doing it but because um it's you want to do it so you just get used to not doing loads of other things you want to do as well and you're doing something you absolutely love which is I mean
0: you know so lovely for a kid to grow up with parents who are doing something where they're actually properly engaged in what they're doing rather than oh Christ I've got to go to the office again um and do something I don't want to do and you're doing Edinburgh are you both doing Edinburgh this year yes
1: both doing it so we're both at the monkey barrel um so I'm on at 9 10 and then Bobby's on at 11 and so I'll do my show go home take over and then Bobby will go do his. you've show. so got the better end of the deal I reckon well I but then I think I've actually haven't because I think I've been like I'm not gonna be able to go out very much because oh yeah of course you're not gonna yeah. when Bobby gets back it'll be like gone midnight and I'm not gonna want to go out after yeah. having a bait. and then by the time I get back like she'll be awake probably so I don't know about this. I think I've been um, tricked. Maybe you'll get very sort of loosey-goosey after a couple of weeks in Edinburgh and you'll just be slipping like the little whatever she's
0: sleeping in by then onto the back of the stage and be like just little notes saying, she seems to be asleep. Uh, here she is when you get off. Yeah, that must be, yeah. I, I cannot imagine doing shows, both of you with
1: a baby and you've both got brand new hours. Yes, both got brand new hours. Um, so yeah, I'm touring it afterwards, um, which I think will be fun. I mean, uh, people always say about touring is so difficult, but generally when you're doing comedy you are traveling a lot anyway yeah. so
0: you it, might as well do your own show that you, you love might, to your yeah, own people
1: exactly um and so I'm really excited about it because um I love um yeah I love I, I toured my last show and I loved it so um and we've not been able to do it for a couple of years so it's and exciting, what's the name you know. of your new show so people can so come buy tickets for it it's called Honeysuckle Island um there's tickets on my website harrietkemsley.com um or um just google it um and it's based on um I found this um uh, leaflet that I made when I was mm-hmm. um 11 years old for this dream holiday destination called Honeysuckle Island and they were like zip lines and waterfalls <laughs> and like monkeys and I looked at it closely recently <laughs> and I realized in a corner I'd drawn a cellulite machine and I was like this <laughs> is mad that I was aware of that at that age and um I'd spelt cellulite right in Ireland wrong <laughs> I was like something is wrong here <laughs> So it's like looking at the uh, so it's looking at that and then now having Mabel and how things haven't changed enough since I was um, a preteen until now. And so looking at the society, really. Oh, amazing, And that, so that's on Edinburgh, and you're doing it, Pristine are doing Soho Theatre run afterwards? Yes, so yeah. that's after Edinburgh, that's uh, mid-September um, at Soho Theatre, yeah. Amazing, and then you're taking it around the country. Yes. Brilliant. Well, we'll definitely uh, make sure there's links to all
0: of that. This is going out ahead of Edinburgh, so that's all good. Um, and um, I was thinking you were going to say on your Honeysuckle Island thing, and then there was a unicorn in the corner. I wasn't expecting to you unicorn.
1: No, I mean, a unicorn would have been much better, yeah. Namaste,
0: what would you pick, Harriet, as your Namaste motherfucking life-changing moment?
1: I guess it would probably be the the moment that I I walked on stage doing stand-up. I mean, it could be the moment before when my parents suggested it. Um, but I think as soon as I I'd struggled for so long like I knew that I wanted to do like acting but then I couldn't get into drama school and I kept thinking I was a serious actor but then everyone would laugh when I was being serious and then I kept getting cast in like comedy roles and I just was like struggling a bit to find my thing and um I then when I started doing stand-up it just felt like I think as well because I'd always been really shy it was a way of kind of showing people who I am that I'd always found really difficult when I was younger. So it was like a, a quick way to be like, this is who I actually am after. I But I'd have to spend like a 100 hours with you to feel like I could actually be like this because it takes me a while to feel like I don't have to be like polite or worry about what you want me to say or do. It was a, a real freedom of being on stage and just saying exactly what I wanted to say. And um, so I guess it would be that. Did you find, because it's partly when you're a bit
0: shyer, letting people see who you are, but I think, did, did you find there was an element of actually working out who you were anyway? So what the, what the real you was, they'd even see if they could kind of thing, did you?
1: Yeah, I guess so. I think that, um, I think it just always took me a really long time to connect to people and it just is a really quick way of connecting. I mean, it's very one-sided, um, but it's a way of being like, oh, this is actually what I'm like and then I feel like I can be myself more quicker and the, the more I've done it the more confident it's made me so mm-hmm. I do really recommend it to people even if you don't want to do it as a job as, as something to do if you um if you do struggle or you're a bit you're a bit shy yeah ideally don't do it
0: as a job because there's too many comedians there's only so many <laughs> jobs to go around so just do it for your confidence and then piss off and go back to your day job That's yeah just have a nice life yeah <laughs> exactly um, and what's your
1: favorite joke I mean I would probably be something by Maria Bamford um I yeah she's my um my favorite I gigged with her uh, a couple of months ago and it was m- mad. Was I, that I, over here? Yeah I just couldn't believe it she um yeah she came over and I hosted um uh the show for um, Plosive who are brilliant in um yeah Dulwich. they are brilliant yeah and um I just I just I, it's the only time I've been like completely starstruck and yeah. we were just sat in the green room and uh, Felicity Ward and Nick Helm were there and we were just all trying to act like really cool but like you could tell she is none a genius us, isn't she he's a genius yeah. and then I mean every and then she's like a bit awkward and we're all awkward so it was just like but we we're just so excited and um she has this joke um I was trying to think of my favorite one um but she's got one about um I, I mean I'm I'm terrible at saying like jokes like telling a joke none of us can um, tell a joke why would, like we, a why would we why would we exactly <laughs> I can only say like things I've thought otherwise it, it feels like so much pressure to say somebody <laughs> else's joke you don't want to butcher it but um she, she says something like um uh, she's talking about men and uh how um you need to watch out for red flags and then she says but what do I do if i'm a Red flag factory, and all I do is just make massive red flags all the time. Uh, she's uh, she's
0: brilliant. Oh well, definitely. And some people listening may not know her actually, so um I don't think she's been quoted on the podcast. So we'll put a link to her. Uh, she, I yeah, I ended up seeing her at Angel. Uh, Amazing. Like, I was I wasn't on with her, but I I was on either before or after, and I remember having a massive like. I shouldn't even be in the same building. <laughs> it's been no, a terrible
1: mistake. I think she's one of the top. Like, I think she might be the, the best stand up there is. And she's not She's not that known over here. It's no, she's crazy. not. She's um, known by comedians, but I don't know how known she'll yeah. be outside of the comedy world. So,
0: um, well, obviously all the Namaste motherfucking listeners will know her now. So that's good. She did a yeah. did a good bit of service to her UK fan base. And if you had to give one bit of life advice
1: to anybody listening, Harriet, what would it be? um so i guess i'm not sure if i should be the person giving life advice but if i was to give advice i'd say um i i think one thing i've learned with dyspraxia is just that you have to keep I, I got very good at failing and falling over and making mistakes and then just and it's like very embarrassing a lot of the time but just continuing like you like just get really good at making mistakes don't worry about about doing them because it really gives you. Um, uh, I think it's a really helpful thing, and especially with stand-up, when it's not always going to go well, and sometimes it's like going to be painful. But you just you just have to keep doing it, and you have to just um, get through it. And um, I have this um, bizarre, maybe it's like one of my biggest strengths, maybe ability to just um, keep going, even when um, I'm absolutely. Doing terribly, <laughs> Namaste,
0: that was the wonderful harriet kensley so that's almost it for this week. Every episode, I pick a thing, as you know, inspired by my guests that I'm going to do. And this week, it's going to be all about authenticity. I've been working and working on my Club 20, which is, as you know, the length of set you tend to do in the clubs as a comedian. And I am going to try and go a little bit more authentic, bit less crowd-pleasy, bit less scripted, bit more me. Uh, if I've retired as a comedian by the next episode, you know it did not pay off. And that is it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Please remember to rate, review and recommend the show. We'll be back in your feed next Thursday, as always, when I will be talking to comedian Sarah Kiwa.
1: I don't know what the opposite of a perfectionist is, but that is me.
0: Namaste Motherfuckers was written and presented by me, Callie Beaton, and produced by Mike Hanson and Karush Adami for Pod People Productions, with music by Jake Yap. I'm Callie Beaton. Until next time, motherfuckers.
1: Namaste, motherfuckers. Pod people.